In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I dive into the listener mailbag, talking about a whole host of topics, from how the Sixers offense will succeed against playoff caliber defenses, which playoff seed is most optimal for the Sixers, what is the biggest area the Sixers can clean up to improve their playoff chances, and what Shake Milton needs to do in order to make an impact. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing great. Four days in L.A. I don't think I would want to live here full time, but th- there are worse places yeah. on the NBA road trip for sure. You know, I mostly consider myself an East Coast person. I mean, I've lived here my whole life, but I do like good weather. Uh, and every time I visit there, I-, I wonder a little bit whether or not I could take that lifestyle. I could certainly take the weather. I don't know if I could take the lifestyle. And right now, because over here in the East Coast, we're about to hit a couple of days in the 40s again. So I am yeah. I am certainly jealous of you. It's just everything's a little too spread out out yeah. here. Like, I don't know exactly where to stay. I stay by the airport because it's like it's kind of close to the beaches, which I like. But that's pretty far from Staples Center. That was yeah. a trip the first time I covered a game out here. I was like, oh, my God, Staples Center is really far away from all of the other places I've heard of out here. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, I mean, look, it's it's a nice little road trip. Finish up in Phoenix. It's a, it's a good way for the Sixers to end their West Coast swing, they they have already done the the hard mountain time zone part of this. And you know what? They got a couple wins, too. And they got a couple more tough games coming up here against the Suns in Phoenix and then come back home against the Bucks. After that, uh, the final, uh, what, eight or so games? I can't do math. The final stretch is easy seven games. after that. Seven games is easy after that, but they do still have two more tough ones here to get out. We are recording this on Saturday before they play the Suns on Sunday, obviously. Um, We're going to take a little bit of a step back, um, in part because the schedule is so hectic. Talking too much about a game is problematic, and also in part because I feel like lately we have just been talking a lot about games. So take a step back, do a couple mailbag questions, let you get on your way over to Phoenix. That was good. You sounded like a like a pilot saying like we're going to get you (laughs) we're going to get you over to Phoenix real quick. Not promising an easy landing here, uh, but we will get you there. Hopefully. Actually, I can't even promise you that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Flip a coin. Maybe you get there. Who knows? <laughs> Before that happens, though, we will get a mailbag uh, out of the way. This one uh, from Robert Ocean. Which one of the following Sixers weaknesses, if approved upon, would make the biggest difference? He lists out transition defense, defensive rebounding, and slow first quarter starts. Which one would make the biggest difference? If they improved uh... upon it, yeah. I think it's pretty clearly defensive rebounding, I would say, just because, I mean, you saw it a little bit in that game last night against the Clippers, like they got stops and when when they get stops, they can push the ball, which gives Harden favorable matchups to attack. It gives Embiid favorable matchups to attack. Um, And it's just, I don't know, there's just something to like a game like the Raptors. It's just so deflating like when you just cannot grab a defensive rebound you know slow first quarter starts like I I do think like I wrote about this today like the the starting lineup is great so you know I I don't expect that to like really continue quite as much and it it, frankly it didn't in the uh in the Clippers game at least it feels like they either have a real slow start 
or they just completely annihilate the other team in the first quarter. So since the Harden acquisition, they have a negative 0.2 net rating in the first quarter. Uh, that is compared to prior to the Harden acquisition, they were plus 4.8. So they've definitely been significantly worse uh, since Harden arrived, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but yeah. But you've had a couple games here, uh, like the other night, where they just blow teams out, and I think has been skewing that where it looks a little more uh, competitive than it actually is. I think they've been slow uh, more often than not. Well, and yeah, the the game against Brooklyn, like, that should count double. That <laughs> right, was horrible. Right. Like You really... Got your ass kicked in that game. Um, yeah, but but I think it's definitely defensive rebounding. You know, transition defense, like, look, I, I think that's going to be important. But as I've said, I, I kind of think that can get schemed around to a point, and, and, and that will be solved. That has gotten better. In, it has uh, gotten better. In the past few games as well. Um, but the defensive rebounding, that's something I'm going to worry about. Like, I, I know this got a lot of engagement last night when I tweeted it, but uh, – Doc was screaming at DeAndre in the first quarter when he let Hartenstein get two offensive rebounds and the Clippers score, and he calls timeout and he starts clapping in his face like "Let's go, let's go," um, which obviously that inspired many a tweet from uh, from people who don't want to see DeAndre playing. But yeah, that's I think that's the biggest of the three, and you know we'll see. Like Harden had a big game on the boards last night, but but it's still an area I worry about with this team though. Yeah, I think some people will dismiss transition defense because there's sort of like the saying that the game slows down in the playoffs. It doesn't really slow down quite as much as you think it does. Uh, I went back and looked at last year's regular season and playoffs. Transition possessions accounted for 15.4% in the regular season. We're, we're talking average. 14.1% uh, in the playoffs. So it's not it's not as dra- it is it, it does slow down a little bit. It's not as yeah. drastic as you think it is. Maybe I didn't break that down by rounding the playoffs, so maybe it gets a little bit slower in the third and fourth rounds, but I think it's probably not quite as severe. So being a better transition defensive team would certainly help. Like, it's not like you can just ignore that because the game quote unquote slows down, but I agree with you. Um, actually, since the Harden acquisition, they have been the eighth best defensive rebounding team in the league, which it doesn't feel that way. doesn't feel that way, but it's also, you know, they're, they're 16th overall. So they're right around 20th or so before the Harden acquisition, but they're also the worst offensive rebounding team in the league. So that disparity is going to look a lot worse. And part of that reason that they're the worst offensive rebounding team in the league is because they're terrible in transition. So you're kind of picking your poison a little bit. And Doc's telling them, just get back. Yeah. Um, So these all kind of, or at least two of the three sort of connect. I think the slow first quarter starts, they'll figure that out. That that starting lineup is too good. I don't have too big of a concern. It's weird. It frustrates me, but it's not really my long-term concern. My longer-term concern is, is, to your point, defensive rebounding, I think. The slow first quarter starts were noticeable, but as we've kind of talked about when we laugh about people asking about, you know, the third quarter or some segment in the game during a press conference, like a lot of that is random if there isn't like a specific lineup or very specific tactical thing that is going on at that point. Yeah. So I, I guess what I would say, if the slow starts continue, that might be the biggest problem, but I just don't expect that to continue. So I will sort of dismiss that one. All right, well, you will go to uh, Sean O'Connor uh, at S. O'Connor 76, old LB pal. Do you think that the Sixers offense with Embiid and Harden remains elite against playoff defenses and referees, given that part of the struggles they've had in the past with getting the same whistle? I'll let you go first. I think it will be very good. 
Is there, and again, I think this is one thing where the whistle doesn't dry up quite as much as I think we believe it does. I think the pace slows down, so you have fewer possessions, so the overall quantity of free throws drops, but the um, free throw rate, uh, the the frequency you're getting the line doesn't. It it does sort of like transition. It does drop, just not quite as much as we say it does. And I think Embiid and Harden do get, you know, will they get fewer fouls? A little bit, but probably not. Like it's not going away. I think it's much more that the quality of the competition increases, um, and you can competently defend Harden with multiple defenders, and that's my bigger concern. And I mean, quite honestly, my biggest concern is that Harden just doesn't look like Harden more often than not. Do I have concern that that Harden might get shut down? Relatively speaking, not completely, but relatively speaking, in the playoffs, yeah. But I think that's more because Harden just doesn't look right, or at least consistently right with his hamstring than it is, uh, you know, I mean, look, offense is always going to be tougher in the playoffs. We've seen that with Joel. He has struggled, uh, you know, part of the benefit for him of Ben Simmons being on the roster is he had his second round performances hasn't quite gotten to scrutiny in terms of his efficiency <laughs> in the, the second worst. round that he's had some, some struggles there. We sort of overlooked that because he's so important defensively and he still is producing. It's just way less efficient, but I do think it gets tough for him in the playoffs. But I think this two-man game is going to be real good. And we've started to see Doc here now change his rotations up a little bit, keep those two on the floor. Uh, and I think when those two are on, are on the floor, it's real tough to scheme against them. When we start seeing Harden's lack of burst, when we start seeing maybe Joel force things a little too much, it's usually when they're playing without the other one. And when you get in the playoffs and each of them is playing 40 minutes per night, I think they're going to have a very good offense. I, I, I do. Uh, is there a little bit of concern just because of the history of these two? A little bit. And a little bit of concern just because Harden doesn't look the way that he you hope he does a little bit. But I, it's my concern is much more on the other end. Yeah, and that's the funny thing about this, right? We we all thought, oh, man, are they going to fit together? And now the question is, oh, man, can they play all their minutes together? Because they, they fit really well. They ran a play. It was the first play of the third quarter last night, and I had it in my story today, where I just thought, like, you know, Doc can get creative with some of the ways he can scheme this up. He basically ran Harden off uh, as like the screener on a flex cut, and then he comes off the down screen for Embiid. Just a nice little pocket pass, easy 12-footer for Joel, like nobody in his face. Yeah. Knocks it down, and you just watch it. It's like, man, that is smooth as hell. Like, that is so easy. He can get that every time down the floor. They can get Joel that shot every time down the floor. Yeah. Um, by the way, do you think, you know, I, I think we're starting to – gauge what the current version of James Harden, like the, the accurate gauge of of what that is, man, is there like a more high variance player than that guy yeah. right now? Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's very high variance. Um, at his best, he looks really good. And at his worst, you worry about how he's going to create in the half court. Yeah. And we've seen some of that on this trip. Like I would say the beginning of that Lakers game, that first half, like some of those drives were super ugly and to Sean's point, he's this. This is kind of frustrating, where he is just kind of throwing himself. You're frustrated with the cat right now, um, but but it is frustrating that Harden is just he's just running into guys looking for a foul and just barf up a shot. And when you're not getting the whistles, that's pretty ugly. And and those drives look super slow. On the other hand, and we have seen this kind of you know every couple games, he has that first quarter or first half against the Clippers where. The dude is still capable of just some absolutely like A plus dominant stretches yep. of offensive basketball. Just dominant as hell. 
Um, some of that is, hey, like if that step back is going in, I, I really the, the hamstring doesn't matter as much. He can get separation on that whenever he uh, he wants. But yeah, I, I would echo your sentiments on um, Harden. I'm um, you know when he looks bad, like yeah, does he is he going to be able to create against the best playoff defenses that switch? Like you know the Clippers switched a little bit last night, but I, I still laugh whenever he plays with Niang that they don't just try and switch it and just see yeah. like hey, like can you. Can you get by guys? And by the way, like he can still get separation against bad defenders. Like he's got that, uh, like like crossover between the legs into the crossover where he's going, um, left to right, right to left. That's uh, look that that's a good move. But yeah, I'm I'm concerned about that. The yeah, good and, news and I, to your point, it's more teams like Boston in the playoffs who you get worried about because why would they ever not switch that uh that, that two man? Um, and that's part of it too. Like better defenses when we when we go bring this back to fouling, better defenses can switch more, they can remain competitive defensively, they can challenge more at the rim without fouling, I think it's probably more that Harden doesn't look right and you're going up against better defenses than it is the playoff whistle. Bring that sort of full circle. Boston is... Um, Scary. They're they're pretty horrifying. Yeah. yeah. And, and the good news, too, with, um, with the question, just bringing up the past playoff struggles for Embiid, I do think he's more prepared because he's not as post-reliant now. Uh, so... That's not a guarantee. Like, look, playing, I think what we have learned over the process era is like, hey, once you get in the second round, unless you're playing against the Atlanta Hawks, like, it should be harder. It should be harder. It always has been harder. And even then, you can make it hard on your own. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, uh, no, to your point, you half court. more prepared to succeed in the playoffs. And also, he has a, a guy to create looks for him now that he never really had in the half court. I definitely expect him to be at his best health, assuming. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL, Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager and i guess that sort of that boston discussion sort of dovetails in the next one this one from the process lives uh, what's the best and worst case scenario for seeding for the Sixers uh, when the dust settles after these next eight games? So I haven't looked at how this is going to shake out because now we are just in a complete jumbled mess. I mean, wow, Miami, what yeah. a week for yeah. them. Sixers <laughs> a half game out of first and tied in a loss column. So before this week started, when I assumed Miami was going to win games with all of their players against teams without all of their players, like, 
man, what a bad week. They lost to the Warriors without Steph and Draymond in addition to the Sixers loss. And then they lost to the Knicks, like, blowing, what, like a 20-point? They got outscored by, like, 25 in the fourth quarter. Uh, and Jimmy is fighting people again, which I've seen that before. <laughs> he, uh, he tends they were to wear just on people. arguing about where they were going to dinner after the game. That's it. Nothing to see here. Move on. You know, I think that's what you both said, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, by the way, just a, a, a quick aside on Miami here, just because we saw them barf up a game against the Sixers. That team's going to have trouble scoring in the half court yeah, come playoff will. time. You know why? Because Jimmy, he can't shoot anymore, man. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, like, like Tobias defending him at the end of the game, I was not that concerned about it because Tobias was playing off of him. Okay. Uh, but, okay, for that reason, Miami would be the ideal second-round matchup. How the Sixers, like, engineer it that they get to play them now, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I think... The, the ideal thing would be to avoid Brooklyn in the first round, yeah. right? Like, Especially just, with the, you know, with Kyrie now being able to play home games. Yeah. Um, you know, it's looking like I, I, you certainly, I think you could see the Raptors moving up into the sixth slot. Uh, and then I, you could even see right now the Nets are three games behind the Cavs. Brooklyn goes on a run. You could see them maybe catch the Cavs. You could be looking at the, at Brooklyn in seventh. Which, if Brooklyn is a se- is in seventh, and um, you know Kyrie is able to play the home game, and they have two games to win that play-in tournament, it went from like a week and a half ago. It looked like Brooklyn was going to have to win two games without Kyrie to even make the playoffs. Their pathway got much easier, much easier. So, so I would argue with them kind of looking like a decent chance at the seven right now. You might want the eight. Or the one getting I getting the one is like that. That seems a little bit. No, you're right. You, you know you know what you're. You want to get to play the eight, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So and, and the Sixers have a chance. Like they're even in the loss column right now. Uh, it's so funny that they're even in the loss column, but everybody's games are so out of whack. And you know, they do have these two really tough games against Phoenix and Milwaukee. If they could just get one of those games, though, yeah. because even if you look at their remaining schedule, even with those two games. In out of the four teams vying for the the top in the East, Sixers have the easiest ske- strength of schedule remaining. And like Boston and Milwaukee have legitimately tough schedules uh, to finish out this season. You know, my, the Sixers uh, are going to get games where th- teams are just going to be saying, "Hey, you win! Congratulations!" Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. If they can win one out of two here, they probably have a pretty good chance of not guarantee because there's four teams vying for it, but a pretty good chance of being the top seed. And like like you said, if Toronto then can can move up into that um, sixth spot. That could potentially be a decent matchup. Yeah. But so, it could also be the Nets. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but if you get the Nets in the six or seven seed, okay, then you avoid them the whole time. Like, that's the ideal one. Like, the Nets are six and seven. The uh, Celtics and Bucks are two and three. You're one. That's the ideal path. Do I think all of those things are no. going to fall into place? Probably not. This is super jumbled anyway, but. You know, it'll be, I will tell you, like, I don't remember an East playoff race that's like legitimately this fascinating because I I remember past years where like LeBron was battling for the one seed with like the Celtics, but that didn't matter. LeBron was going to make the finals regardless. This actually, there's some variance in these playoff matchups here where the teams seem at least evenly matched enough where you're not going to like have a strong inclination of what's going to happen going into a series. So, yeah. Crazy, crazy run. Um, I'm sure we will talk more about that the next time we do a podcast.
This one uh, from Spidey. Why can't Shake Milton just chill out and be a good player? So I'm going to I'm going to modify this question a little bit because I don't know why Shake Milton can't just chill out and be consistent. I'll modify this question to say, what does Shake Milton need to be a more consistent player? I think the answer is probably pretty obvious. Yeah, he's got to make threes. Yeah, he's got to make shots. He's got to make shots. Um, it's I well, I asked Doc about this and it's like, you know, it's it's very true that like it, it didn't it seem different that like when he had the ball. And he was attacking Tyler Hero mercilessly. Man, this really is turning a shit on the heat podcast, by the way. Whew, Tyler Hero got smoked the other night. He gave up like 30, legitimately 30 points on like 14 for 21 shooting. It was pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's Shake with the ball in his hands, right? And that's him getting into his mid-range game, kind of using his, his strength to, to shoot over Tyler Hero. Well, that's not going to happen with James Harden. It's not going to happen even with, you know, on a backup unit with Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris. So no, but he, it, got- it would be good and nice if he was just consistent enough where even if he's on the floor with James Harden, he might get the exploitable matchup and you can give the ball to him and have even a little bit of confidence. Even if you're not going to do it all that often because James Harden on the floor too, he, he would be great if he made enough shots and enough plays where he could help attack the weakest defender. He's so up and down this year. So up and down. Well, and it's true that, like, you would think Harden, who's super smart, who has Thibel two-thirds of the time looking like this unbelievable cutter and dunker, too, like this guy who can really make his teammates better even when his hamstring's not feeling that good. You would think there'd be a way he could exploit Shake, where it's like, all right, I'm seeing all this attention. Shake's guy is helping off of me. Let let me just give him a little bit of an advantage situation, because that's what he needs. Like, he's not a guy who can create against the set defense. But if, like, I put the defense in rotation a little bit, he's pretty talented. Um, yeah, they still haven't figured that out. You know, he's been playing, like, he's in the rotation again, so that's a good sign, like, that that he has been playing. I think he's been he's been okay on this West Coast trip. Obviously, he had the great game against Miami. Uh, yeah, I like, look, I, I said this in a mailbag last week. I would give him every chance to earn that spot, though. I, I really would. Yeah, he, he. I mean, he's got the most ways to impact a game. He just he needs to make shots. It, it, it really is that easy. All right, and this one from Harry, it sort of ties into that. More important player having a competent playoffs, Shake Milton or Danny Green? Uh, that's a good question. Here's the problem. I think the way that Danny Green would have a competent playoffs is by being three years younger. I don't think he can really game plan for that. There's no way he's going to get his lateral mobility back. At least Shake has a chance of making his shots. So I guess the, I guess the way I would phrase this is the one who can exceed expectations and have an impact like that, I think it's more likely to be Shake just because I don't really see a pathway to Danny Green turning back the clock. Yeah, I, I look, I, I agree. I, I don't want to crap on Danny more because we've been doing that a lot. He just can't move. He, he is struggling to move. Yeah, I mean, like, look, he's he's had a couple decent games, played well against Clippers last night. So it, I don't want to say that it like the ability to impact a game is just not there at all. Like, yeah, he can, no, for sure. For he sure. can find the right matchup, and I certainly wouldn't like remove him from the rotation, no, nope. like for for that reason. But but I do agree with what you're saying. I, w- that, like, I would say, I, first of all, I wouldn't move Dan- remove Danny from the rotation, and I think he should probably, on average, get more minutes than Shake just because that shooting is that important. But like if one of them is going to exceed their expectation, have an outlier playoff run, 
um, that could actually like change your complexion a little bit, it's probably more likely to be shake to exceed your expectations. It seems like Doc is having Danny sub for Matisse. Like the, those are the two guys. Like that's a spot in the uh, in the rotation. It's the uh, it's not the dribbling spot. I'll put it that way. Yeah. But I, I think that's where <laughs> Danny's getting minutes because like you see, Shake is they're taking Maxi and Harris out at the beginning of games now in the first sub, probably about six minutes in, and it's uh, it's Niang and Shake that come in right now. So Shake is. Uh, He's almost getting a bigger role than Danny right now just yeah. because of his ability to dribble, I guess. Yep. All right, this one from at Pudrick underscore Lamar. What does Joel and the Sixers have to do to solidify the MVP? Just campaign really hard. Seems like he's doing a lot of media out here on the West Coast. I think that's a good start. Uh, I, I don't really know what else he can do. Like, I think... Whether or not he should win, I think the guy has put together an unbelievable season. And I like that he, for the most part this year, is not like he's been baited with these questions. He's like, look, just watch what I'm doing on the court. Like, I would love to win the MVP, but that's all I can really do. Um, I I, I don't really know how much is going to change over these next nine games. Like, I I think it might not hurt for... uh, for Joel to like put up a couple 40 pointers, but I don't, I don't know. Like you look up every night, you look up last night, he plays 28 minutes, scores 27 points. So I don't know. I, yeah. I think, I think it's a lot of campaigning. Unfortunately, I think that's what, what you'd have to do. Well, I think, I think if there's one thing, you know, I, I think a lot of this, because the stats with only nine games left, aren't going to change substantially the end of year stats. I think what really has to change or what can change is the narrative. And if, you know, yeah. I think the Sixers have three more wins than the than the Nuggets right now with one, one extra game to play. So I think what you need, a one seed and four wins more than Nuggets. And I think you have a compelling narrative why Joel Embiid should be the MVP. Should it matter? No, you should be able to take games off and throw <laughs> a couple games and, and do what you need to do for the playoff run. But talking about what can solidify the MVP, a, a one seed and four more wins than the Nuggets. I think that's, if, if you do that, I think it would be, Tough for too many voters, enough voters for Jokic to win to vote the other way. Speaking and of the game. it's all ridiculous. Like that whole thing I just said is ridiculous. It's just what I think what it would take. Yeah. Speaking of the games off, you, you could tell there were only a couple people that were really searching for the take of how dare Embiid and Harden sit out a game, which like, by the way, Joe deserves a lot of credit. Like he... He's missed like three games, four games this year. I, the COVID stuff does not count. I'm sorry. Yep. Like if you got COVID for three weeks and he said that actually messed him up, remove that from the equation. I mean, he sat three or four times this year. The last two times he sat, it's just like, dude, you've played like 19 consecutive yeah. games. Yep. Like you got to sit. And yep. and he, he has, and he has not complained about it. So that, that's gone, I would say, um, really well. Yeah. What, what would you say? Let's say they get the one seed. I think he's going to win if he gets the one seed. I, I think do too, especially the, because because Denver has stumbled a little bit here of late. I think they've lost three out of four. Um, and looking at it now, I say I think, but I'm actually looking at the schedule, uh, and they have lost five of their last eight. So that has certainly helped. Yeah, yeah. And if they get the one seed, and he has a couple of uh, a more big games, like I, I just think he's going to win that narrative story. And you know, like he and Jokic are so close. Like I, I think Jokic is having just an insane offensive season for sure. And 
you know, the, the numbers are just kind of crazy. Giannis is kind of like with the advanced numbers too, is another guy who's just having a crazy season. But like, look, Joe gets the one seed with two thirds of, of $30 million being lit on fire. That's uh look that that's pretty hard to argue with too. So yeah. uh, uh, look, it, it, I know there's like this sort of like rivalry here. Um, you have two players, three players really playing at an MVP caliber level. Only one of them can win. The other guy won last year. So you really hope Joel can get it this year. <laughs> Would I think that voters are morons if they vote for Jokic? No, he's a generational, incredible, one of the all-time great basketball players who's right now at his prime. Uh, but so is Joel Embiid. And it would be nice to see him get that award. And like I said, I think the most compelling narrative you can build here over the last nine games is to just have a significantly better, quote-unquote, better season than Denver. Um, and that is to win the one seed and get the get about four more wins than Nuggets. Um, which, again, I don't think any of that should matter because I think the Sixers should be able to rest. And I think Nuggets should be taking into account the injuries that they've had. The record should not be the differentiator, but I think for enough of the voting public, it will be. Two, two more thoughts on that. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go crazy if either one of them wins the MVP. I think, frankly, the top three guys are having really special seasons and deserve consideration. I will go crazy if he does not make first team all NBA. A- enough. Like, if you're listening, I don't know why. A person who has a vote is listening right now. This probably mostly just Sixers fans. Put one of them on as a forward. Like, please do that. They, they are the three best players in the league by a mile. That uh, that's the first one. Second one. If he does win the MVP, you better win your first round series because that doesn't get announced until the second round. And there is nothing more embarrassing than getting the MVP trophy like at a press conference after you've been like, bounced. Or, yep. Yeah. Yep. You, you want the you want the home crowd going nuts for you. This one from Ryan Brennan. That Brooklyn game still has me shook. If we face them in the playoffs, can you help me visualize how we can beat them? Yeah, no, I don't blame you for it having you shook. That was really bad, and that was uh, hard and barfing all over the floor. Um, look, I, I think the way to beat them is to just like outscore them. Like <laughs> Harden yeah. did a terrible job of this, but they have a lot of really shitty defenders on that team. Yeah. A lot of them. And that game, that game looks so bad for two reasons. First of all, you have no real way, way to defend Kyrie and KD. That's not really changing in the playoffs. I don't have a good, I can't visualize that for you. Um, the other reason is because the Sixers maybe had one of their worst games of the season in terms of offensive execution, made all of that look worse helped uh, Brooklyn get out and transition. It really comes down to executing in the half court, um, running a whole lot of Embiid, Harden, pick and roll, and just daring them to try to find a way to beat them or stop that. I don't think Brooklyn has a solution to stop that. Likewise, I don't think the Sixers have a solution to stop Brooklyn. So you will have to, like you said, outscore them. Um, but that was that was worst case scenario by far. I, I think so too. It's like, Harden, can you score on Seth Curry? Like, can you do that? I think you probably can. I think that's that's doable. Can a lot, you of, a lot on- of people did point out that as as much as Doc Rivers wanted to pick apart Hero, not quite as willing to do that against <laughs> his son-in-law. <laughs> well, hopefully in a playoff series that will uh, be different. He will need to recuse himself if those are his feelings for a playoff series. <laughs> yeah. Dan Burke can coach the Nets series, yep. and Doc can come back after that one. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Look, you got to have Harden attacking Dragic. I I do think too. Like the Nets have enough bad offensive players too, where I, I still think they're going to score a shit ton. But you could scheme it up a little bit better, where the ball finds Bruce Brown and you know players of that ilk. 
So, yeah, no, that was the worst case scenario, though. I, I completely understand being terrified of it. I, Kevin Durant's the scariest guy in the league. He's horrifying to yep. play against. All right, final one here, and then we'll let you uh, hopefully not miss your flight. This one from Hanway. Why wouldn't Doc play B-Ball Paul or Charles Bassey more? Now that there's uh, so few games left to experiment with our backup bigs. Yeah, I think that one's gone. I think yeah. that's over. There's a there's it's... a real easy answer for this, and it's because Doc Rivers ain't playing either of those guys in the playoffs, and he wants to get, in his mind, DeAndre Jordan up to speed. Now, DeAndre Jordan's up to speed is going 35 in a 60 lane, so I don't think there is getting him up to speed. <laughs> but, look, Rich and I might sit here and say Charles Bassey can contribute as much in the playoffs as DeAndre Jordan will, if not more, certainly with more upside. We can talk about that all we want. Doc Rivers is at a point where he's not playing B-Ball Paul or Charles Bassey in high leverage playoff minutes. He just doesn't trust them. I don't know why he would trust them because he hasn't played them all year. That's a different story, but we are where we are now here in late March. It's not changing now. It's And, and the game where Harden and Embiid both sat and they didn't play a meaningful minute at center should tell you all that you need to know. It was, quite frankly, probably pretty obvious before then. Doc just doesn't trust young big men in high leverage playoff situations. And that it look again, I don't agree with it, especially with Bassey. I think you can trust Bassey and his decision-making uh, more than you can be ball Paul, but I'm not the coach. It is what it is. I don't, I don't know. Those are some electric be ball Paul garbage time minutes in, uh, in last night's game. He, uh, but, but if you look at it now, DJ is minus 1.3 net rating, which I don't think is indicative of his play because, like, he was on the plus side last night, and I thought his first half minutes were yep. brutal, brutal. And a lot of those minutes, especially up until the last couple of games, came with James Harden on the floor. Like, you should be better than negative one point three or whatever. Yeah, but like, look, if I don't think uh, that's very predictive for the future, but like, if you could get DeAndre minutes as minus one point three. I think you, and especially you if you have that. this, the yeah. stagger, like, yeah, you can, you can deal with that. Um, I'm a so, little worried there, Rich. I don't know if I see negative 1.3, especially if they keep the stagger like it is. I don't, yeah, yeah. No, his, his minutes were horrible. Like just letting Hartenstein score. Some of his offense is so weird too. He just like tries to dunk from impossible angles and it just goes off Well, have you rim. seen his layups? Of course he's going to try to dunk. What's his other option? Yeah. What, what game... I guess it was the Lakers game where it was like late shot clock and there was a switch and I forget who it was. It might've been Tobias and they, they threw it to him in the post and he had to shoot a hook shot because look, he, he actually had to shoot that shot because the the clock was running down. That's not good offense. No. It's, it's just not, it's not going to work. You watch him before the game shooting hook shots. And, eh. Eh. That's that should be your name. For, for DeAndre. <laughs> like whenever, Whenever I bring him up on the pod, you just got to be like, eh. But again, as much as you and I might not believe in his defense or believe in his decision-making and certainly don't believe in his offense, Doc's riding with him, and he's yeah. going to be your backup big. Eight minutes per game, eight to ten minutes per game every night in the playoffs. Maybe there's one night where Doc's just had enough, and he puts maybe Tobias or Nyang at the at small ball center, but you're not seeing Charles Bassey and B-Ball Paul. Certainly not at the five. Is what it is. Anyway. It it is what it is. It is. I think we will end on that positive note. Uh let Rich get off to his travels to Phoenix. Thank you for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.